Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense. Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. about having Brian and Kathy with us today. 
And uh, <clears throat> thank you, Cindy. She loves the background. Me too. I was wearing this green shirt, so I thought, you know, we need to just kind of cool it down a little bit. So it blended, I thought. So we need a good blend. I see Kevin Hauger's with us today. Good morning, Pastor Vince. Good morning, Kevin. God bless you, sir. Thank you for all you do to help the ministry. And uh, we have some time to get things rolling. And I do have a scripture on my heart as I want to bring balance, because I think that's very important to all of us to have a, a, a real set of balance um, in our lives. And uh, I want to bring it out of Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 is where I'd like to start reading today before we get into our interview and all the different things we're going to be talking about today. Uh, but just remember, we are broadcasting live on OmegaRadio.org, YouTube Omega Radio, Facebook Omega Radio, and then we're audioing on blogtalkradio.com. And by the way, you can call into the broadcast anytime you'd like to. If you have a question or a comment, you would like to share your thoughts about anything we say, whether it's good or bad, but just try to be as nice as you can. And uh, I'll do the same. And uh, But if you would like to call into the broadcast, the number is always up and I'll put it on the screen for us right now. And um, <clears throat> let's see, I have our friends out here. Let's get us... Uh, all the way prepared. They always hide that number from me. That's such a strange thing. But I will get it here any second now. Where did they go? Where did they put that? Well, the number is 818-369-03. Here it is, right there. So if any time during the broadcast you would like to call in because of Blog Talk Radio, we can hear you. We will respond to you, and we'd love to hear from you, quite frankly. So, uh, again, the number 818-369-0326. And then you want to press one on your dial pad. Uh, we have been having a phenomenal season. We've been talking a lot of, about a lot of different things. And uh, just before getting into the broadcast, I have Brian and Kathy are, uh, on the line right now. Right before they join me on this broadcast, I want to share out of Romans chapter 11. And I want to begin in verse 22. And if you were listening to yesterday's broadcast, if you were following the show yesterday, uh, it was a very severe broadcast. It was it was tough. It, there were some things said that were very, very tough. But I did want to read this verse in Romans 11:22, and, and in context, he's talking about, um, you know, Israel. He's talking about their salvation. He's talking about the judgment that hit their lives. He's talking about seven, you know, all the different things that were going to happen to that nation. And Paul put it this way, behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity. And that's what we heard yesterday, to a fallen nation. We heard a severe word. And when the actions actually match up with the word, my God, that's a severity, isn't it? But the word is also, behold, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward you, goodness If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also shall be cut off. All right, so we're talking about the goodness of God, and we're talking about the severity of God. We're talking about how severe things could be for those who turn away from God or resist God or fight against God. And you can see that severity playing out in history throughout the last 6,000 years. Every time somebody rises up against the Lord in any way, or his own people turn from him, there's a severity that happens. 
And we talked a lot about that severity yesterday. But there's a goodness to God as well. And the admonition of the Apostle Paul is that you and I would continue in the goodness of God so that his goodness would be shared with us. And you and I desire the same thing. You and I who are born again, you and I who have become new creations in Christ Jesus, you and I who have become partakers of his holiness and of that divine nature, you and I who have been born again, you and I who have been forgiven, you and I who have been atoned for, you and I who the grace and mercy of God has been evidently displayed in our lives and and fully furnished our inner being. You and I, we love the goodness of God. We love the abundance of God's grace. We love every good thing that comes from Father God. We love that. We desire that. We want that for the whole world. We desire that for the whole world. And that's why the gospel is preached to whosoever will. And, you know, Mark chapter 16 is very clear. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Whoever believes shall be saved, and whoever doesn't shall be damned. I mean, it's just that simple. But it's not um, just a, uh, a work of machinery where, okay, I'm going to spit out the information and whatever they do is up to them. Uh, there should be a compassion. There should be great love and a great uh, urgency to win souls, to bring people out of the fire. I, I'm just thanking God today that you and I, that we're not in that world right now with the veil over our minds, with the darkness in our hearts, what we used to live like. I just wonder, what if we were one of them? And thank God, 40 years ago for me, that veil was taken away. Thank God the veil was removed. But what about the dark, heavy veil over the nations today and the almost uh, the, the, the very difficult um, movement in going into enemy territory and setting the captives free. It's getting more difficult as the times go by. And, and, but yet there are many captives under the veil that need to be saved. And we should have an urgency and a compassion and a love for them because Father has an urgency, a compassion, and a love as well. All right, so we're carrying his heart. We should be. We should be caring about people, whether they be in the homosexual movement, whether they be in the lifestyle of uh, transgender or lesbianism or pedophilia or any other sexually debased activity. We should, if the opportunity arises, have urgency, love, and compassion to snatch them out of the fire, hating their garments stained with flesh, according to the book of Jude, the way it wrote it there. It's just snatching people out, even though it's very uncomfortable. But thank God we were snatched out. Amen? So I just wanted to talk a little bit about the goodness of God today. Uh, We have seen the goodness of God. We have experienced the goodness of God. I'm positive that you have shared in it and experienced the goodness of God as well. And so I wanted to bring that balance, and throughout the rest of this broadcast, we hope to do so but not alone. We're going to invite our friends, Brian and Kathy, to the airwaves today. Say good morning. God bless you and welcome this morning. Brian and Kathy, how are you? Good morning. We're doing awesome as Very usual. Very good. Very good. Awesome. Did God you like the so way that, Yeah, God is good. Did you like the way that I said, how are you's doing? Did you like the use or no? The use, yeah, that works. Yeah, yeah. that's a good one, yeah. We're linguistically flexible. linguistically flexible. We need that right now. All right, so let's get right into it. We've got about an hour and uh, 20 minutes. Let's pour our hearts into this moment. Brian and Kathy, 
Uh, we have a wonderful listening audience out there and people that are hungry to hear the word of God. So what has God been doing in your lives in the past week? What is God saying to you and through you? Uh, please say hello to everyone and let's move forward. Well, I, I guess, you know, it's listening to – Kathy got to listen to your show. I didn't have the opportunity to listen to your show yesterday, but um, I guess it was pretty severe, yeah. <laughs> but um, it is it is the goodness and severity of God, and that's that's a scripture I've been quoting a lot lately. And and just uh, God just continues to impress upon on me especially that, that he works in a mess. You know, and in 2 Corinthians, it says that, that, you know, Paul said, we're not to regard anyone after the flesh. And I guess I just get, God continually shows me how, how much I have a tendency to regard things after the flesh, to look at things in the natural, even though I'm trying to function in the, in the realm of the spiritual. And, and again, I just use, uh, you know, where I work as, as a paradigm, because that seems to be where he's, he's speaking to me the most, to me, about me, and through me. And, uh, you know, we have we have uh, four different cottages filled with kids, with about ten kids in each cottage that that uh, at this children's home that I work at, and um, and Kathy and I have been uh, there were two different uh, weeks where they had a camp, and Kathy and I were asked to come and share a testimony, preach the gospel a little bit to the kids, and uh, my cottage is the that's where the hardest, most impossible kids, the hardest cases go, and it's just absolute. I've talked about it before, just absolute chaos every single day that I go to work. And, uh, but then we, we, um, we shared with, with our cottage, uh, you know, shared our testimony, and, and the boys were just really engaged and really asking questions and genuinely interested. And, uh, you know, be, I'll have one, get, one day a kid that wants to fight me, you know, and the next day I'll just tell him, like, he'll, he'll ask me, like, well, well, where should I read in the Bible if I'm going to start reading my Bible? And so I I told this one kid, Matthew chapter 5 and 6, and I pointed to another kid. I said, you know, you should do the exact same thing. And, you know, he's like, well, maybe, you know, maybe. And then the other kid that I put, the second kid that I pointed to said, I'm not doing that. I can't read my Bible. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I don't care. We're not going to do that. The next day we had our, our weekly scheduled Bible study, and, and, uh, and they brought, the first kid brought it up, and he said, yeah, I was reading in Matthew uh, chapter 5 and 6. I really like Matthew 6.34. And, uh, I said, well, that's, that's, that's awesome, you know, and, and uh, you should talk to the, the other kid over here and, and tell him what your experience. And he, looked, he goes, I read it. <laughs> you know, awesome. So, you know, I, and I shared last week about, like, I had, you know, one kid throwing a fan at me and screaming all kinds of ex- expletives and trying to punch and kick me and, in, in one room. And then in another room, my friend was in there laying hands on another kid and praying for him, and he's getting healed. His headache's getting healed, and he's jumping up and joy up and down for joy that God had healed his head. And so, but, but, um, so if you look at, if you look at the cottage that I work in, the worst, the worst one of all, they're just like, none of these kids are going to make it. And it's just, it's just horrific. But, but they're the ones who seem to have the most interest in the gospel. And then last week we went and we spoke to two other cottages where the kids are just basically like really good. And they, they comply with the rules and, and everything looks good. And they're, they, yeah, during church, they, they go up to the altar and they get down on their knees and they put their arms around each other and pray. And you just look at it. It's like, oh, it's just so awesome. God's really working on their cottage. What's wrong with mine, Lord? <laughs> but then when we went and we spoke to these kids, 
they were abs. They were just they're falling asleep. They're making jokes. They're making snotty comments, and 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 uh, we were just like, wow. <laughs> Don't regard wow. anything after the flesh. We're not to regard anyone, anything or anyone after the flesh, because no matter how things look to us, it's God works in the mess. Yeah, like in Proverbs fourteen four, it says where there's cattle, where there's no cattle, the stables are clean, but there's much profit in owning cattle. And if you're going to own cattle, you got to deal with a lot of muck and mess. <clears throat> Amen. Wow, that's beautiful. And you know that what a what a telling tale that you go to church and you see all this one look, and then you get behind the scenes and it's a totally different look. And I think that's not just for kids in cottages. I think that's happening in churches all over the world. What do you think? Exactly, and that's why I say I, I I tend to view the circumstances, the, the the situations that I'm working in, what it's God seems to be speaking prophetically to me through through these situations and through these kids, you know. And it's not just about the kids; it's about it's a much much bigger picture of what's going on. That's that's really why I bring it up almost every show. Something to, something to do with what I'm doing in the cottage. So. Amen. So, Kathy, how are you today, and what's going on from your your part of the world? Oh, good morning. Good to hear you guys. Thank you for having us. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, I just, like, uh, I had my day in prayer yesterday, and it's just awesome. I just look so forward to um, prayer. It's not just sitting there and praying, but, you know, of course, we we dialogue and we read scripture, and then we pray. And we t- it's like a six-hour window, and it's just, it's my favorite thing ever to do, you know, because it's, to me, it's even more intimate almost than worship in a way when when we're actually coming before God and and praying his word and his will hopefully and um so that that's just a joy for me and uh the Lord's been working on my heart and to uh I've been feeling convicted to speak up more and and so uh I'm just kind of wrestling with that and how that really looks because I have a lot inside of me and um, I usually wait for the door to open. And, and so I'm just kind of pondering that and, and saying, okay, Lord, whatever you want to use me. And, and uh, I definitely don't want the soulish part to come out, you know. And, and uh, so I just, just want to be obedient. And uh, it's just kind of, that's kind of what I've been dealing with. Just my life is kind of quiet um, and uh, intimate still with the Lord. And uh... Amen. So God is good. Um, there are people, Kathy and Brian, I believe, and I, I and I, I base this on a very small, you know, microcosm, you know, eight billion people in the world. But from what I hear and see in my tiny little world, uh, there are people everywhere waiting for something. Uh, there are people waiting on God to direct them in some area of their lives. And I, and I hear it many times as I'm talking with people, I'm just waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. As though people, even though they have this glorious gift of salvation and, they're, and, and they have a beautiful walk with the Lord, so many people are waiting. And do you think that that waiting, that genuine waiting in the heart of God's people is actually going to draw out a season of what they've been waiting for, whether it be direction, whether it be this, that, or the other thing, that uh, that waiting is going to be met with God's, here it is, this is what you've been waiting for, and that they're being trained 
not to be premature in going after something that they're really, you know, just I desired so much kind of like Abraham getting Ishmael. Uh, they were waiting, but, you know, they thought we could push this thing. I, I sense that there are people everywhere in, in a more obedient heart sitting back, uh, learning from Father Abraham. I, I'm, I really want to be useful. I really desire to be out there doing what God's put in my heart to do, but I'm waiting for the Lord to show me the way to do it. And then contrary to that, Brian, what do you think? Maybe people have missed the, the, the door of opportunity. What, do you, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I think Abraham and Ishmael are, are a really good uh, example. You know, there's the child of the promise versus the child of the flesh. And I think there are a lot of people that are, are they are, they're pushing, trying to make something happen as if that, that God's will depends upon us. And, you know, I've always said that on the mission field, one of the biggest lessons that we've learned is that God did things in spite of us more than he did it because of us. And, uh, you know, and, and it's funny that you, you talk about the waiting because Kathy and I have been really pondering uh, Leviticus chapter 8 um, lately. And, um, you know, at the end, at the, it's a whole, it's about the ordination of the Aaronic priests. And, and at the end of it, after being out there with, you know, in 100 pounds of garb in the middle of the desert, slaughtering animals, you know, and, and offering and performing the sacrifice, the meticulous, you know, very, very detailed um, things that they had to do to, come, to fulfill it. And then at the end, he said he's put them at the door of the tent of meeting and said, you'll sit there performing what God has told you to do for seven days so that you may not die. You know, and um, and uh, it's it's there is something something very 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 um, important, vital. It's just it has eternal consequences in, in in doing priestly waiting. Something that Art Katz talked about a lot. He wrote a book about, it, I think. But um, but uh, Kathy knows more about that. Well, you know, um, yeah, the priestly waiting, and so they've already dedicated themselves, and they've already counted the cost and said, uh, you know, God has uh, consecrated them, and, and so now that God said to just go out by the gate and wait seven days. Seven is a completion, number of completion, and and so what are they waiting for? And the other thing is, so you will not die, and I'm like, Why? I thought we were supposed to die to ourselves. And um, so, but what I realized, I think, is that after they they chose to be a priest and sold themselves out to God 100%, they're going to live the life as a priest and a king. And, of course, this is a shadow of things to come that we are called to do. And so, so after they've given up their their fleshy lives, their natural lives, to die, to priesthood so now they're living for god and as we do we die so christ in us is the one who lives and so now we wait upon him and if we come out as a christian after we've died to ourselves and given our life to christ we are to wait in him so we won't die now waiting can look like you can be doing stuff and still be waiting you can be in the middle of speaking and still be waiting on God for the next sentence. I think the greatest things are going to be done from the people of God out of this waiting, where we are actually listening and obeying every step. You know, the priests 
they got anointed on their with the blood on their ear, on their right thumb, and on their big toe. And and um, the ear is like is hearing. The the beginning of the commandment is, Oh, hear, O Israel, hear, O Israel, hear. What are you supposed to do? And then the thumb, the the hand and the thumb is is what are you doing? Your works. And the the toe represents you know your walk and being obedient. And um, so this waiting is like is what we're doing as Christians and um, and being obedient. And then, you know, if we don't, we just really need to go out from being a Christian, being dedicated, dying to self, then the work is blessed by God. It has to come out of that rest and that waiting, not by being and doing in in a hurry to, I'm going to go do for God, but, but being at peace. And then he sends, he gives us that direction and all through the day. We're just waiting on God. What's the next? Like, do I talk? Do I do I shut this door? Do I go through this door? And so I'm just kind of pondering that. And it's interesting that you brought up the um, the waiting because it's a really really big thing where God is just, you know, you want it your way or do you want it my way? You know, good is the enemy of God's way, and uh, mm-hmm. we all want to hear from God. And and He said that we can. We are His sheep. And we and a stranger's voice we will not follow. So, Amen. So let's look at a few uh, verses here. I put them up here. I think there's four that are very powerful when it comes to waiting. And obviously, our conversation is for somebody out there today, um, and that maybe you're you're becoming a little bit impatient, a little frustrated. Uh, you've been waiting a long time for something, an answer to something. Uh, Psalm 37:9 says, "For evil doers shall be cut off." But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. That's a really powerful scripture. Uh, Psalm 123, verse 2. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden under the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord, our God, until that he have mercy upon us. Our eyes are waiting for the Lord. I love that. Isaiah 8, 17 And I will wait upon the Lord that hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. And Isaiah 40, 31, very familiar to everybody. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Wow. Brian, waiting on the Lord, cheerful, patient, endurance, waiting for what? For what? Or do you think a lot of people in our generation are waiting for it? Does God have a divine instruction that he's planted in their heart and he's sown something in them that has become a part of them and God's ready to meet that with the here it is? What do you think it is? Well, I think, I, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, is John the Baptist. You know, he spent his whole life living in the desert, uh, eating locusts and honey, and and, and all for a six-month ministry. That was his entire calling in life. And, um, he, and that's, that to me is like, a, that's an example of waiting. And I mm-hmm. think that perhaps there's, you know, Kathy and I have always had, ever since we were first married, before we really understood eschatology, you know, and any, anything close to the way we understand it now, um, we felt like 
we both felt like ever since we, when we were little, when we were little kids before we were born that we were built for like these end days, these last days. And, you know, and what that means for us is going to probably mean something completely different to everybody else. And, uh, you know, it says in Ephesians 2.10 that we were created for good works beforehand so that we should walk in them. You know, we're all created for a reason and a purpose. And, and uh, I don't think, I don't think we, we know what that is. That's, and I think that's part of this, this sense of, uh, you know, the more intimate any of us get with the Lord, the more I think we have a sense that there's something that we're supposed to do, something that we're created for. And when we don't, when we don't know what that is or we don't think we know what that is, there's, is, there's a tension in that, you know. And, um, and so I, I personally believe that we're, we're, in the, we're in the birth pains right now. And, and that, so, therefore, what we're waiting for is for the, the, the final great, greatest tribulation the world has ever seen to take place. But really what we're waiting for is the birth of a new kingdom, you know, the kingdom age. And we're, we're waiting for the birth. We're waiting for Jesus to return in the clouds the way he said he would. And, um, I mean, that's ultimately what we're waiting for. But in the meantime, it's, it's, it's what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say? Am I not doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I, am I being fearful? Am I, you know, am I quenching the Holy Spirit? Uh, you know, is what I'm doing what I'm really doing, or is it just my soul craving to do something, and so I'm going to do something and, and create a child of the flesh, you know, a spiritual Ishmael or whatever. And so we can get into all these dialogues with each other, I mean, with ourselves. And But the key is is, is we, we need to do is draw closer to God in our secret place. We need to be hearing from him. And ultimately, I think these days that we're moving into, you know, the double outpouring that I think that, that we, at least the three of us agree with, is definitely coming is going to be in the context of a lot of trials and tribulations and, and suffering. And, and so I, I think what we're waiting to do is to be prepared to be able to walk in those works when those, when those days are finally upon us. And, uh, but it all comes down to intimacy with God and being able to walk in obedience. And, and that's why, like, you know, last week when we were talking about uh, we got into the gun debate a little bit and whether Christians should carry guns and depend on guns for self-defense and whatnot. And, you know, it's been our experience that the greatest defense in the world is to be walking in obedience to God. And, um, and, and all the times that we've been in, in, in situations where we were facing the very real potential of our, of our imminent death, it's, we've always had this tremendous peace and tremendous supernatural protection from God. And so I think, it, it just it just always comes back to just intimacy with God. The answer the answer to anything that ails us, any kind of tension, any kind of questioning, any kind of should I, shouldn't I, whatever is is it always comes back to draw close to Him, and then He'll show you. It's it's acknowledge Him in all our ways, and He directs our paths. It's such a simple thing, but it's such a hard thing to do in the world because there's so many distractions. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, you know, I'm thinking about the word that you spoke was purpose and. You know, wait, people waiting for their purpose. And you could imagine, uh, Brian, how, how this works. You know, somebody waiting for something. Uh, my wife has been waiting for me to clean the garage for probably a month now. Um, and I would imagine, even though she's handling it really well, that there's kind of a, hey, when, you know, when it, I'm waiting for you to get this done. And I, I use that as an example. And how many people are waiting for other people to get things done? But what I notice what Patricia does is she just goes about her business taking care of what she needs to and every once in a while drops a little hint. Hey, when are you going to clean the garage or something like that? Um, 
So it's about purpose. It's about waiting. And uh, there are a lot of people waiting. And it's how we wait. And everything in Scripture tells us that whatever it is we're waiting for, even that divine purpose for our existence that may be for one day, you know, one moment upon this earth, fulfilling the purpose of God is a life well lived. But uh, it's how we wait for that moment. And, uh, Kathy, what are some of the ingredients that you believe uh, are helpful to waiting? What do you think it is like? Well, I just love that analogy you just gave. That, that's the perfect analogy that um, Patricia just goes about her life. And as Christians, and I'm sure her life is filled with uh, prayer and uh, devotion and uh, teaching and sharing and reading the word. And, um, yeah, and so that's what we need to do is, like, we need to draw closer to him and um, take and believe and trust in his word and uh, go about our day. And, um and he never leaves us. And, and just we should be drawing closer and closer and closer. Our relationship with him should be growing. And I believe our faith should be growing, you know. And because our faith, where it was five years ago, is not going to be sufficient for today. It has to grow, you know. And um, we are, that's just how it is. So hopefully, you know, that's what we're doing. And as a body and coming into unity and, and, and sharing the word with the lost as much as we can and um, and having our eyes on him, preparing for the great wedding feast, you know, a bride without spot or wrinkle. And, um, and it's intimacy with God as we go on what God has called us do, to do today, whether you have to go to a nine-to-five job or um, whatever it is, you know, we just do it in the name of the Lord, in Amen. faith. Amen. In faith. Hey, I want to go to a scripture, if we can, real quick, in Psalm 37, a very famous passage of scripture, but I really believe it speaks into this moment right now for all of us. Maybe, uh, again, that one person out there, maybe myself, maybe others uh, that need patience right now and are waiting uh, for direction, waiting for instruction, waiting for something. Psalm 37, verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. There's, there's some of the ingredients here about while we're waiting. Trust in the Lord while we're waiting and do good. Always do good while you're waiting. Remember, one of the parables that Jesus taught was, uh, people would say, well, the Lord is long and is, uh, is returned. So they begin to beat the men servants and the man servants and eat and get drunk and do all that stuff. Uh, that's the loss of patience. So here, the ingredient while you're waiting is trust in the Lord, do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. God is going to do it. So verse four, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of your heart. So while you're waiting, just delight yourself in the Lord. Worship him. Praise him. Let this be a lifestyle. Verse 5, commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So commit everything to the Lord. Commit your way to him, and he shall bring it forth, right? Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him. There it is again. Verse 6, and I just want to read one more verse, and you got to speak into this. And he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. 
So this is all about when we commit our way to the Lord. And then finally, verse 7, rest in the Lord. So while we're waiting, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. So uh, obviously this is taking your eyes off of others. This is about your personal, my personal walk with God. And this is instruction about wait patiently for the Lord. And while we're waiting, do these other things. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think um, Psalm 37 is definitely one of my very favorite psalms. And uh, you know, I, think, I think the hook is in verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. And speaking from personal experience, mistaken interpretation, and then watching what happens with other people in the body of Christ is, you know, when I, when I first read that as a baby Christian, I thought that I was going to delight myself in the Lord and he was going to give you the desires of my heart, what I wanted, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm going to follow God. He's going to give me a million dollars. Yay. But what I've come to realize over the years is that, that when I delight myself in him, he takes his desires and puts his desires in my heart so that his desires become my desires. And that's what makes the whole thing work. It's like where, where it's when we really commit ourselves to him, it's, it's we surrender completely, 100%, not like hanging on to this, a little bit of that of the world and whatnot. It's like, look, we have to hate our mother, father, sister, brother, mother, you know, and, and, uh, or we can't be his disciple. And it means a complete and walking in holiness is a cutting, you know, it's like cutting spots out of a potato and, and then separating the rest of it, the bad parts from the good parts. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's really the hook. It's, it's when his desires become our desires, that's when we're able to fulfill everything else that this, this psalm is talking about. Yeah, you know what's good about that? The backup scripture is in Philippians chapter 2 in uh, verse 12, I think it is. Uh, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So you're right. It is God that's putting it in us to do his will. And uh, I think there's another scripture that actually says that, Every desire that's in our heart for the things of God, he's planted there. So, all right. So we're waiting. There, this is uh, important. Or let me ask you, how important is it in the days that we are living in to be waiting and, and watching, like, you know, just watching, waiting for that moment for God to move, to God to wink, to God to glance, to God to say, this is the way, walk you in it. This is what I want you to do. Waiting for that moment, you have to be focused. You have to be tuned in. You can't be just distracted and, and whimsical. If you're really waiting for something, uh, what do you do if you're a child and you're waiting for dad to show up on a Saturday morning in a, in, a, in a pretty rough situation? You're at the window and you're waiting. Every car that moves, you're waiting. You're waiting. So this is important. So, Brian and Kathy, how important is it in the days we're living in to wait and to not get turned away and not... Uh, you know, do something silly. I, I think I think the key word is is patience, and patience is something that comes um, and that grows with maturity in walking with the Lord. You know that there's you know 
the child analogy of waiting for um, his father to come, just waiting at the window with that anxiety and that anticipation and the disappointment when he thinks he sees him coming, but he's not coming. I think that's a, that's a perfect uh, analogy of, of, of an immature Christian. And the, what comes is with patience is, is a deepening trust, or maybe the deepening trust is what produces the patience that, you know, tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance gives birth to the hope and hope doesn't disappoint character, character, hope, and the hope does not disappoint. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's a large part of, uh, of what we're doing here. It's, it's, it's not that we're doing nothing while we're waiting. If we don't have something specific to do some mission, something to make us feel, significant you know in our in the kingdom or whatever but um it's actually it's actually the waiting is developing patience and perseverance and and as far as as far as what um my personal responsibility i think that goes with the philippian scripture about about working out our own salvation with fear and trembling is that we we have to develop our character and that goes with Romans 12, 1 and 2, that, you know, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Don't, do not be conformed to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, uh, and so it's like a lot of what I've seen in my own personal walk with God is him developing his character in me. And I, I think maybe sometimes we don't give, um, I don't know, we, we don't attach as much importance to that as we do to things like evangelism and and doing ministry activities and, you know, a hundred people raising their hand and accepting Christ or a hundred people getting baptized. Uh, you know, it's, if those things are happening, people are jumping for joy. But when someone just, uh, just when their character improves, when their character becomes more Christ-like, those things tend to be less celebrated, I think. And, you know, in, in Corinthians, I mean, in, in Revelations 13, the, the extreme version of this where is where it says that, um, you know, those that will be slain by the sword, those to be slain by the sword will be slain by the sword. And those, you know, who are going into captivity, into captivity, they will go. Here is the patience and the endurance of the saints. And um, I, I think in the simplest terms, it becomes us patiently allowing God to develop his character in us like a potter, you know, uh, working the clay on a wheel. And, and, and But in the most extreme sense, in the very last days, when we're in the midst of tribulation, it's going to be the same principle, but it's just the, the external uh, manifestation and maybe consequences of, 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 of you know, being steadfast are, are just going to be more extreme. For me, I think um, the waiting is uh, what, what I would like to, you know, grow in is, is a waiting with complete trust, with complete belief on God's timing and everything that's in the Bible is true and it's up to his timing and with his complete peace and um, without any anxiety of like, is it today? Is it today? Or is it, is it going to happen? And just trusting him completely that I am exactly where he has me, where he wants me to be. And I am going about my father's business and um, at perfect peace, even in the midst of, you know, what's happening in the world. And we're waiting for, um, with our eyes on him, going about his business. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, someone had just said, we, we had a fabulous time yesterday. We met a beautiful family while we were out yesterday. And uh, this uh, woman had written a book. Um, and I don't want to give her name out yet. And I don't want to share her book yet. 
but she gave us a copy of her book, and it was a daily devotional. And it's interesting. One of the things that she wrote about today was this patience and being patient with yourself, being patient with yourself. And when it comes to the character, Brian, that you were just talking about, uh, patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is the divine nature of God. It is the character of God. It is the quality of God. And so we develop this character, right, through, the, you know, through our trials and through what we go through. But some of the things that maybe someone else has to hear today is being patient with ourselves, being patient with, you know, we, we want to get things done. And there's an internal anxiety. And, Brian, you had mentioned that a moment ago. There's an internal anxiety, uh, uh, an unsettledness, a restlessness, uh, because we're, we're just kind of uh, not allowing ourselves the proper development, cultivation, growth necessary to becoming what God has created us to be and what he's called us to be. And so give us a good example what it means to be patient with yourself. Well, I think that that it begins with you know we have this uh, I don't know if it's a it's a global thing or if it's more of a um, an American thing where there's this pursuit of significance you know especially when somebody's in you know between their maybe thirty and fifty there's just this pressure to be um, something important to make one's mark on the world and and uh, you know the buzzword. Probably, it probably still is, but it definitely used to be being a world changer within the body of Christ. And if you go on, on Google and you just look at Google Images and click on world changer, you just see like everywhere. It's like the whole body of Christ. Everybody's trying to be a world changer. And, and I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with wanting to change the world in, to become a better place. But really, it's like what happens in my, my own previous experience, because this is something that I had to repent of when I was on the mission field is that it's like he's the world changer. You know, we, it's not that, that anything is dependent upon us. It's like when we, when we, um, when our life is, is um, when we come to Christ, it's like it, it, our, 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 we die. You know, it says in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, you know, we, you are dead, your life is hidden in Christ. And so when we, abandon this this whole thing about being a world changer on one hand it's like there's this sense of it could be just like this sense of like an emptiness unless it's filled with him and um and there's an anxiety with that and so i think that that really people need to like really let go of the fact that it's like it's i am not significant you know i'm not and it's sort of paradoxical I guess because it's like we have our identity in Christ but it's like the fact of the matter is is that we are in him my life is hidden in him it's not that I'm good I was a child of wrath I was his enemy you know and uh, and um, and he saved me and he loved me not because of anything I did or didn't do he saved me and loved me because of who he is and that doesn't change when we start walking with him and start you know walking in these things that he's prepared for us to do it's still all about him. And I think that the key to it all, really, the answer is when, when we get into this place with this anxiety, this angst about waiting and should I be doing something, I'm not being who I'm supposed to be, and, and is to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto him. And, it, you know, it ultimately goes back to the garden, you know, and everybody focuses on, on you know, who's, who's to blame, Adam or Eve, you know, and that they ate the fruit. But really, it's like 
the real the real sin came in my mind my interpretation you know people could may disagree but the real sin was when they took their eyes off of god and and put them their eyes on themselves and realized they were naked they became god focused and became self-centered and and it's our self-centeredness more often than not that um that's the root of all the trouble that we have in the world You just went back to the Garden of Eden. I think it's such a, a glorious place to, you know, begin to look at uh, what we're talking about right now. Because I, I think about this all the time. I don't even know where I heard it. I don't know if it's a movie. I don't know what it is. Um, but I've become very aware recently, and I've known it for a long time, but I'm becoming more aware of it, that every single decision that we make, it's amazing how it it, it changes everything that we do. I mean, for example, you go back to the garden, they made a decision and look at the world today and everything we do. So God's word continually encourages us and exhorts us to be led by the Holy Spirit, right? Um, To walk in the Holy Spirit. Um, Because when we're walking in the fruit of the Spirit, uh, you know, things happen. You know, we change, you know, we keep ourselves out of a lot of fleshly, problems. So we're walking in the spirits, but being led by the spirit, that means everything we do, every decision we make, every, every path we take, if we're seeking for God's spirit to lead us, it opens doors to destiny. I mean, it genuinely brings us from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from strength to strength. But if we make a decision to do something and, and, and this is so precise. It's absolutely amazing. It's as though God's precision has been, he's designed everything to be precise. And, you know, we neglect that all the time. Oh, nothing's perfect. We're never perfect, blah, blah, blah. But there's a precision to God. And, and his preciseness is, is the reason why we should be walking in the spirit, because every decision we make has to do with something that's interconnected with God. And uh, just like yesterday, you know, I, I had this decision. Uh, that I, 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 some, I, was I going to go somewhere? Yes, I made the decision. I felt led to do it. Uh, who was I going to take with me? Well, I took my wife with me. And, and, and at that moment, I could have asked three or four people to go with me. But I took Patricia. And it, the, the, the way things worked for that particular situation uh, brought us into a divine appointment, a perfection. And I just noticed that everything uh, either delays us or derails us or it brings us into the fullness of what God wants us to be doing. Do you think maybe that we're not being led by the Spirit sometimes is keeping us delayed in not seeing the purposes of God fulfilled in our lives? You know, um, uh. I'm just going to step in here because, <laughs> and Brian can, because we were talking about this. It was kind of the revelation has to do with waiting, the priestly waiting outside the gate. And as we were dialoguing with each other and trying to understand this, which is, that's doing life. Waiting outside the gate, being complete, is walking in the spirit. Going about our business, knowing God is truth and knowing he, you know, everything, that we trust in him he is truth. Everything he says is truth, and um, there's no anxiety, and um, our eyes are on him. We are going about our business, but if our eyes are on him, and we aren't even conscious of it sometimes as you mature in Christ, 
He is just leading us. It's not like you have to ask him a question every single minute of your life. He, you just, it just becomes a natural thing, a supernatural thing. And it's like, I just, at the end of our conversation, I said, the waiting at the gate, that is walking in the spirit. So that was my revelation. Okay. Well, I don't praise know if you love that. <laughs> yeah, as long as we're, and again, waiting in the spirit is waiting in love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, patience, self-control, because that is the spirit. That is, to walk in the spirit is to walk in love, to walk in joy, to walk in peace. Uh, isn't, isn't it boiled down to that? So whether we're waiting at the gate whether we're serving as a janitor or whether we're driving a bus, whether we're preaching a gospel, whatever we're doing, it's all about the development of that character of the fruit of the spirit of God. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I also think about like if anybody's ever been on the ocean and, and sailing a boat, I'm not, I'm not a sailor. Kathy was a sailor, but I have had the opportunity to be at the helm of a boat and, and, and being guided by a compass and, you know, you have all these forces. You've got the wind, you've got the waves, you've got the ocean currents that are, that are pushing on the boat. And, but you have to, like, you set your course and you've got to stay, keep it on course. You know, if you're headed due north, you know, and you go off course, you're constantly going off course a degree or two degrees and constantly bringing it back to true north, right? And if you go off course one degree for 500 feet, well, no big deal. If you go off course 500 miles, you're going to be thousands of miles off course, and you're going to end up someplace that you were never going. And so the way I, I kind of like, I like in walking in the spirit to just sailing with a compass. It's like you're, we're not doing it perfectly, but it's a matter of like always trying to be aware, paying attention as much as we can, having our compass set, our eyes fixed on him, and then, and then, and then just going about our business. It's when we become lackadaisical and forget about it that we end up 5,000 miles off course instead of 500 feet off course. It's just a matter of, like, the, the, more we, the better we get at walking in the spirit, which means the more sensitive we are to the spirit, the, the quicker we can make course corrections. And, and, you know, for some it's, like, just no big deal sailing about their day. Other people are like, oh, my gosh, oh, how, do I, how do I get back? <laughs> well, that's an excellent exhortation. That was very well said. Uh, you know, I want to shift our conversation just a little bit um, because yesterday's broadcast, we were, it, it was a very tough word. And I, I can sense the severity of God in it and the balance of what we're talking about now isn't just an attempt to temper, but God is, you know, good and God is severe against those that turn against him. And so uh, right now, there, I just want to shift and ask you a question. I don't know if you know the answer or not. But uh, I was told yesterday that something called CERN, uh, which I believe is some kind of a hydro collider somewhere near Switzerland and France, and the whole idea behind it is to uh, bore a hole into the fabric of the universe and to, you know, do something. Do you know anything about that? I was told yesterday that it opened, or any info concerning that? Yeah, I I followed CERN loosely for years. It's interesting. I've always, like, I I find – I find quantum physics is kind of is pretty interesting. It just uh, it, it ends up confirming things in the Bible more than anything else, whether they realize that or not. But um, um, it, it's a CERN is a is a particle accelerator collider, and so what they do is is on the quantum level, meaning like below smaller than atoms, they take well, basically what they do is they take protons and they 
it, it's a bit the CERN accelerator is, is uh, it accelerates particles to almost to the speed of light. It's sitting like on the border of Switzerland and France, and they're trying to discover how the universe was created. That's basically their goal. They're not trying to. I mean, there's all kinds of interesting little. Uh, you know, conspiracy theories about CERN and, and that they're trying to open portals to to the demonic and whatnot. And, you know, I, I, maybe that's true. I don't know. But uh, what, what, they, what their stated goal is they want to find the moment in time. I don't know, perhaps people have heard of the singularity. They want to find the singularity, that exact moment, what things looked like before the, the, the Big Bang, as they believed happened, um, took place. And so they, what they do is they take you know, they'll take protons and they accelerate them in opposite directions and cause them to collide. And when they collide, they break apart and then they use, you know, different mathematical equations. They look at the trajectory, they look at the curve uh, of the particles and things like that. And, and somehow they are able to come up with a theory about, you know, different things. Then they discover new particles that they can't see, but they, but mathematically, they seem to uh, to exist. What's interesting is they just keep on getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And um, one of the reasons why it's so hard to to make the uh, these protons collide or in, or atoms to to shatter is that atoms are actually composed mostly of empty space. And so they're they're just trying to they want to get to the singularity. They're trying to discover how the universe was created. And so there's there's some lore out there about um, or concern, I should say, about uh, them creating a black hole that would, you know, basically cause the Earth to get sucked into a black hole and destroyed forever, which is, is when you understand it, it's kind of silly. It's, it's, uh, there is a possibility that a black hole could be created. However, if it, if it did get created, it would be um, 40 million times smaller than an amoeba. And it would have virtually, it would have no effect on anything. And uh, it would have to be so much, so much bigger. And now a black hole w will grow, but it's like for it to, for it to um, get to the point where it could actually be a threat to anybody, it would be, it would take longer than the universe as they calculate the universe being in existence, which is like, you know, billions and billions and billions of years, which is what, what they believe. But they, they say that's how long it would take for a black hole to grow to that size where it would be a risk to us. And I guess I think some of the stuff that is uh, that causes people to freak out is they've got some they've got strange people that work in these fields that are, you know, I, I think a lot of a lot of scientists like to mock religion and things. And, and they had this uh, mock satanic sacrifice. And yeah, what was that um, all about? And I, I'm, you know, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's like whether it might have been a real satanic sacrifice. But the tendency that these people tend to be atheists, you know, people that go into these fields and they tend to get involved in, you know, they study occult things, looking for clues and whatnot. So it is very occult. And they have, you know, I guess they have a they have a Shiva statue standing on a baby's head somewhere located on the property. And uh there's all kinds of crazy stuff that, that, that's involved in it. But, I, you know, I, I just, I think that, uh, you know, I think the tendency that we have sometimes is to forget that God is sovereign, God's in charge. And, and you know, it's, it's none of these things are ever going to come to fruition. Um, eventually the, the, you know, we know that all creation, the earth and the moon and the stars and the sun and everything will be rolled up again and he'll create a new heavens and a new earth. 
But before that happens, you know, nobody's going to destroy the earth, get it sucked into a black hole. People are going to worship these powerless gods that, you know, that uh, uh, these demons and whatnot. And, and um, yeah, I mean, to me, it's just to me, it's just more of the same. A much more. I, I realized years and years and years ago that that uh, God gave me the revelation that I got to the point where I knew more about what the devil was doing than I knew what was God was doing, and that if I was eventually going to be a missionary, I needed to find out what God was doing, and maybe kind of just like just in passing know know what the devil's doing. So yeah, there there there's people that work at CERN that do crazy things and have crazy rituals, and I, we know that the globalists are a cult and they're a lot of them are Satanists, and they're, they're going to do what they're going to do, And but God's still in charge. That's my view on CERN. <clears throat> yeah, it sounds like going back to Genesis chapter 11 when, you know, they were building their tower, um, you know, exactly. into heaven. And the actual uh, Hebrew there, I guess, and some of the references that they were boring into heaven, which gave the idea they were boring. They were going to bore into heaven and dethrone God. And, you know, this, maybe they're trying to prove existence as a big bang without a God, I don't know. But it failed then, too. Uh, I guess the question is, if there's a machinery of a hydro collider, um, you know, in Europe, is there any threat to the actual planet? I mean, is there any kind of speed wobbles or polar shifts or anything like that that could actually become a reality because of what they're doing with that? Uh, I my understanding of it all is is at this point no i mean they are planning okay. to expand it and make it bigger but uh at this point you know based on my understanding no they just they think they're going to find the god particle and basically that's what they call the singularity the god particle the the very first particle that that led to the creation of everything that we see now and of course we know god is the one who created everything and and i imagine that when that when God spoke everything into existence, that was a, that was a pretty big bang that took place. But yeah. it's, uh, you know, they, science just can, science is a method. And I think we have a thing called scientism now, where basically it's, it becomes a religion based on what scientists say. And any true scientist who understands the scientific method knows it's a method for explore, exploring and, and, and asking questions. And so for instance, there was an article in, um, I think it's space magazine. It was, uh, sometime in the last year, but, but I, I, I read it. And basically what they discovered was that, that, uh, you know, they questioned water, the freezing point of water being, you know, um, automatically always 32 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's kind of uh, intuitive for us, the way we understand the world, at least the way I understand the world, that a, that a cup of water is going to freeze a lot faster than an entire lake will. And so the more water you have, the longer it should take to freeze, and the lower the temperature would actually need to be to, for it to freeze. And so what they discovered is that when you get down to the quantum level, meaning, meaning you're dealing with two hydrogens and one oxygen, um, uh, I mean one hydrogen and two oxygen, H2O, uh, two, sorry, two hydrogens, one oxygen. And <laughs> but when you get down to that level, it actually take it actually goes down to like I think it, they said minus 44 degrees centigrade, which is I don't know what like 100 minus 120 degrees Fahrenheit somewhere in that area, it, 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 and that's where water freezes. And so the, the reality as we see it is 
isn't always reality once you get down to the the quantum level, which is the God's building blocks. And, you know, we are we have Isaiah 55 that explains that. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. And no matter how hard we try to understand his ways, we're not going to get to find that out <laughs> until he shows us. When we know, even as we are known, as it says in Corinthians 13. <clears throat> amen, amen. What a word. And Kathy, I know you're 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 listening to the broadcast. Any thoughts you'd like to inject at this point? No, not right now. <laughs> okay, okay, good, good. Um, let's take a phone call. Um, I, uh, right before I take this phone call, Brian, what you were just saying, um, Revelation 11:18 says the nations were angry, and your wrath has come and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should give reward unto your servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear your name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. Um, How do people actually go about destroying the earth? I mean, if we were to look at this, and I know it's kind of a futuristic verse, um, but if you're looking at the world right now for what they will be judged for later, how are people destroying the world? And I think this is one of those, you know, thoughts and ideas. You know, what is happening? It, it, just right off the cuff, uh, how do you see people destroying the earth by their actions in the world in which we live? Well, I mean, we, we see uh, in the most simplistic way, it's obvious way, It's we see these people that are, you know, they're, promoting climate change as if carbon dioxide, a gas necessary for life, is is destroying the earth. And meanwhile, they're promoting electric vehicles with lithium batteries that are just like, it, it ravages the mining of lithium and then where you have to, the disposal of lithium after the batteries are are, are messed up, are, 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 I mean, are dead, are just, that destroys the earth. I mean, most of the destruction of the environment is not, they're, they're trying to blame cattle farmers who who get, provide us food but it's it's really it's it's big corporations big money who are just ravaging the earth for the sake of profit and um yeah i think that's the the, the beginning part and then we just have sin people participating in sin it's just like we have you know you have an outbreak of monkeypox so they're not really they're not really talking as much about it as they first were but that's like most of it is being spread through through uh um um, the activities of homosexual men. Um, you know, I mean, there's just, there's all kinds of, wherever there's sin, you see people destroying the earth. And you see people that are worshiping God, and then, which are of the minority, and everybody else is destroying the earth. And maybe CERN is going to do something where, where they, um, you know, there, there is a risk to something like that. And uh, I can uh, see an earthquake or something like that happening on the border of France and Switzerland and taking CERN out. I don't know. I mean, but God, all I know is God is sovereign and, and he's going to every word is he's going to fulfill. I mean, you know, Kathy just wrote down nuclear weapons, you know, maybe nuclear war. We keep hearing more and more about that coming. But <clears throat> we do hear a lot about that coming. And you know, the shedding of innocent blood on the land. There are three or four passages in Scripture that talks about the earth was vomiting out the inhabitants because it couldn't stomach any longer the sin that was being committed on the land. So the earth is a living organism. Uh, there's something there that it literally vomited out the people, and God's saying, if you destroy the earth, I'm going to destroy you. So it is definitely our sin, and nuclear weapons, um, you know, that kind of pollution in the air 
that kind of radiation, that's, you know, that's very deadly. Uh, we saw that where in Hiroshima, we saw that in different places where, uh, you know, the, what was it, the place near Russia that uh, Chernobyl or something, uh, where that thing broke out, you see how deadly uh, these things could be. Um, let's do something right now. Let's take a uh, quick call from Mark uh, coming out of Erico 916. Uh, good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. Mark, do you have a question or a comment for Brian and Kathy? Uh, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. <clears throat> Brian, I really appreciated your comments about how you had observed that the uh, the desires of the Lord's heart had become the desires of your heart. That comment was right on, uh, and it just, <clears throat> you know, months ago, several months ago, Pastor Vincent had counseled me as my pastor to train myself and to pray that I would be able to hate sin and hate my sinful nature, hate the activities and the thought patterns that I used to be involved in. Um, he, he really did advise me and encourage me to get that process going, to learn to hate sin. And I have been making that part of my spiritual walk so you came up with that comment this morning that the, the desires of the Lord's heart were becoming the desires of your heart, and I just really identified with that. That being said, I had occasion to stumble upon an old email last night after our Bible study that I had written to a friend, uh, I would say between seven and ten years ago. And I was looking at that email, and I was just astounded at how filthy my mind was when I had written that email to that friend. In that email, there was cussing and swearing. Uh, there were inappropriate references to sex, uh, specifically fornication. And I looked at that email and I just said, wow, praise the Lord for how I now hate the activity that I used to be involved in. And I hit the delete button, goodbye email, uh, and I'm just ever so grateful ever so grateful that 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 my walk with the lord is including learning how to hate what i used to be and the activities that i used to cherish and that's the that's the essence of my comment you guys thank you very much for this morning's broadcast it's right on Amen. that's beautiful mark thank, well, thank you for you. sharing Isn't that a beautiful thing uh brian i think you can identify with that huh? i mean what a what a what a story putting an end to you know, looking back at what we used to be and seeing the goodness of God in what we have become and are becoming. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. I I, I just, you know, I think that uh, I probably would have saved that email, you know, <laughs> as, a, as a part of my testimony. You know, it's uh, it's um, it, looking at in disgust at what I used to be, but then looking at it through the lens of who I am now is just it, – it, it's just uh, glory to God, you know, because it's, uh, you know, as I always say, it's like the things that he's done through me and in me, and he's done in spite of me more often than not. And so when I look back at who I was and who I am today, it's just it just builds my faith. And hopefully, you know, when I share my testimony with people, especially like these kids that I work with, because I was one of them, uh, you know, it, it inspires them to do the same, to just seek him and realize that he is, he's doing the work. And it looks messy. 
You know, it looks it looks really really messy, in, in especially in terms of our cultural context and our cultural mores. But um, it's um, all glory goes to Him, and it's just uh, it's just amazing. Praise God. Amen. That was that was right on there. Um, I guess the big question right now to everybody listening to this broadcast, uh, we you can see in Mark's testimony that there was a goodness of God. Wow! Look what the Lord has done. And Mark stands absolutely awed and amazed, and we could all identify to a very large degree that we, too, were darkened and we, too, were sinners, and we have experienced the goodness of God. So we've moved into a time like Isaiah's prophecy. Behold, uh, you know, arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon you, and his glory shall be seen in you. So... What side of the day are we on? What side of the day are you on? Is it going to be on the side of God's severity? Or is it going to be on the side of God's goodness? Because the middle ground, according to the book of Joel, is going to be wiped out. Multitudes, multitudes of the valley of decision. You've got to get off the fence. You can't be lukewarm because God says, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. You can't do that. And you can't live a compromised walk with God. It's either all in or it's not in at all. If from God's heart, he's like, be cold rather than lukewarm. Be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm because I can't stand that. So what side of the day are, is your life moving in? What side of the day are you in right now? I mean, if, if you were to weigh that right now, what side of the day are you in? And I think uh, most of us listening would say, I'm gravitating. I'm in the day of light. I'm moving towards the day of light. I'm moving towards Christ. I'm moving towards the glory of God. What side of the day are you on today? Where are you in your thoughts, in your heart, in your thinking? What are you challenged by? What are you wrestling with? What are you going through? What do you need? You hear about all this stuff that's going on in the world, and there is a divine severity coming to it. You don't want to get caught in that. What are you struggling with? There's a number on the screen right now. It's 479-233-3774. If you're struggling to such a degree and you're just kind of stuck in the muck, in the mire of life, if you've been bound in some way, some area of your soul, your, your mind is just giving you a hard time right now, you're just going through something and, and you're finding it difficult to go through it alone, maybe you don't have a pastor to go to. Maybe you don't have a body of believers that you could hook up with and Get further. There's a number on the screen, 479-233-3774. You call that number right now, and there's compassionate people on the other side of that telephone number that can pray with you if you want prayer. You can text that number as well. Um, why is it critical? Because life is short. Life is a vapor. Regardless of we're living in the last days or not, life is a vapor. Nobody has a promise about breathing another breath an hour from now. Nobody. You can go to a July parade in Highland Park, Illinois, and just be chilling out on the 4th of July and be gone. Brian, Kathy, life is that way, and not that we're to live in fear, but if we're walking in divine love, it will cast out all fear, but we could always be prepared. Can people be prepared right now in their hearts through their faith in Jesus Christ? Yeah, I, I, I think so. You know, it's um, based on, on experience and testimony and, and the things that we've shared. Uh, 
you know, particularly on the mission field, but you don't have to be on the mission field to experience all these things, to, to walk in obedience to the Lord, to pursue him. And I think that, um, you know, you know, part of the process is I always say that like being a Christian is like peeling an onion. There's constant, there's always another layer, you know, we repent of one thing and then, and then we discover something that maybe we didn't even think it was an issue before. And, and then, wow, we should pull that off. And then there's another layer. And ultimately we get to the point where there's no us and there's just him, you know, it's John, John the Baptist prayed that there'd be, you know, less of him and more and more God. And, uh, and I think that's, that's a lot of what we do here on this earth is we peel off the onions until as a Christian is we peel off, uh, the layers of the onion until there's none of this stuff of us and there's only him. And, um, part of that includes deliverance. And, you know, I, we, I had an experience, I think just last weekend. Yeah. I, I, uh, we have this thing, this deliverance ministry that's here with a lady that we're, that we've gotten close with. And, uh, we want to incorporate deliverance more into our ministry. And I've done other things like, uh, you know, I've done cleansing streams several times and, some of these people have done a thing called Sozo, but this is a, this is called restoring the foundations and Kathy and I have both gone through it. And, you know, when I went through it, I was just doing it because, well, I, I don't want to ask somebody else to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And so I went through it just not really expecting, you know, maybe a couple things here and there needed to be broken off, but I got into it and we found all this generational stuff and all this, uh, um, the things with uh, Freemasonry and whatnot that uh, my family had been involved in and stuff that I never even realized. And we real had some just powerful, powerful revelations and things that were broken off. And I was free when I went in there, but I was even more free when I, when I got done with it, you know. And so I think that's, uh, you know, just deliverance and constantly, like, searching to, you know, remove the spots in our garments. You know, we may have the garments but the wedding garments, but, you know, we need to be removing the, uh, the spots and that's an ongoing, it's an ongoing process an ongoing illumination from the Lord. And as we become transformed. So I, I think, I think the tendency is to think we, we pray a prayer, take a dip in a pool and we're done. We're good to go. Hallelujah. Amen. Now I just go to church once a week, sing a few songs to listen to the pastor and move on. But uh, the process of being transformed is ongoing until we are completely conformed to his image. Amen. And you know what? The image I'm getting while you're talking is a man goes and buys uh, a field. It's a really big field. And, uh, you know, there's a dilapidated house on it. There's a broken down barn. Fences are broken. Uh, You know, everything is a mess. The grass is overgreen. But he views this field and he buys it and he gets ownership on the paper. So it's his. It's kind of like salvation. You know, it's we've been bought with a price. It's ours. But now comes the work. Now comes the deliverance. Now comes the healing. Now comes the restoration. So you get that field. You own it. So what do you do with it? You start working on it. And this is why God sent his Holy Spirit to all of us so that a work, an internal, intrinsic work can be done inside of us. And it's an ongoing work. And so he's working the field. And so salvation isn't just about, well, I got saved. Now, uh, you know, and then there's no production. God saved us so that he could restore us. So it's not what we're doing. It's what God bought us for, what God saved us for, because he wants to restore himself, his image, back into us. And that takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of cooperation. Thank God he's doing the work, 
we're doing by faith, cooperating with what the word of God says to do and, and moving in that direction. I think that's very, very good. Uh, very, very good. Um, I had another, oh, this, this is a promise for anybody out there right now going, how do I know today? In Romans chapter 6, this is just a kind of commentary outline. You can know this today. If anybody is wanting to know anything about where you stand before God as a believer, you can know today that sin's power is broken. You can know today that we can be certain that sin's power has no authority over our lives. Sin shall not have dominion over you. You can be confident today that the sin that once controlled your life has lost its power. You can be confident of that. You don't have to sin. You don't have to allow sin to be your master. You have a new master you can yield to and turn to. You can, again, sin's power is broken. You can also know, according to the word of God, that the sin-loving nature that we've all had, the sin-loving nature, we could see it as being buried The sin-loving nature is buried. And I'll quickly say this. You are no longer under sin's control. That's the good news. If you've been truly born again, purchased with the blood of Jesus, you may have a cyclical or a cyclical, you know, mindset and a way of doing things and, you know, that old familiarity. But the fact of the matter is that you've been separated. You've been taken out. You no longer have to be under the control of sin. Now you share his new life. You look upon your old self as dead. You reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin. This is the word of God. So you kind of look upon your old self as dead. Instead, be alive to God. You're now alive to God today, right now, alive to God. Forget the other stuff, right? Work it out. Don't go with that mindset. The old man is buried in temptation and struggle in temptation to sin. You do not have to come under its control. Um, so do not let sin control you. Give yourself completely to God. You are free. You can choose your own master. You choose one or the other, sin or Christ. These are, these are biblical concepts that are valid, and it's just catching up to them. But they are, they are valid for the believer. Are they not, Brian and Kathy? Well, you know, it's for me, you know, it was just the goodness of God that brought me into repentance and that keeps me um, with a desire to please my father. It's no struggle. I'm not trying to, like, break the sin or kill the sin. It's just like I behold my father, and it's just his goodness. It's just it's just amazing, and that's what your program is kind of about. It's interesting, but it's the goodness of God that leads one to repentance. And when we look to him and when we know him, it's only by his spirit, by Father bringing us into relationship with him. And um, when you really know him and when you really uh, have a relationship with him, you're not really fighting sin anymore. I just don't understand how you could be when it's his goodness. He's there with you. And all those scriptures are true, you know, and, um, but it boils down to it's the goodness of God that um, leads us to repentance and keeps us from, from temptation. He always gives us a way out of temptation. He's always with us. So if 
you know, it's our choice. It, and, you know, the flesh, it's like that's why he says die daily. You know, our flesh is the one that wants these physical, whatever you want to call it, the sin. You know, we're feeding our flesh. So, but he does give us a way out of temptation, Scripture says. Amen. Amen. Yeah, Very good. I love, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say, you know, I, I think that you, this also comes down to spiritual warfare on several levels, right? The first of which is that it goes back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they, they fell when they took their eyes off God and put them, their eyes on themselves. And I always say to people, you know, I can only put 100% of my focus on one thing at a time. I can't put 100% of my focus on one thing or two things or three things. And so what the first thing is I have to get my eyes on God. The second thing is, is when we do get saved, as you said, it's like we have authority over it, right? If we're wrestling with sin, sometimes we're, we're actually dealing with deception, meaning that, that, you know, when we really surrender our lives to Christ, when we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, ready, and ask him and ask to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, it's, it's the, that stuff can't stay in us, you know, that stuff goes out. But now Ephesians 6 talks about, like, we need to beware of the wiles of the devil. And one of the wiles of the devil is, is that he's a liar. And he wants to convince us that the things that have been cast out of us by Jesus, or if we've gone through deliverance, that those things that are out of us now are somehow inside of us. And if he can convince us that, that, that those things are inside of us, we, we submit to fear, and then those things can get back inside of us, if, if you understand my meaning. And, that, and, and so it's like it's, we, have to re, we have to rebind the devil, you know, bind the demons, bind the liars, bind the lying spirits, bind the sin that's trying to get back inside of us. And then finally, in, in, in Ephesians 6, like 12 or 13, it says, like, having done all to stand, stand therefore. I think what happens is when we get to this place of, like, dealing with our own sin is that we think that we have to, that we have to do something, that we're either, either we want to run away or we want to attack. And, and one of the first keys to spiritual warfare is stand and stand therefore. And then we put on the full armor of God and deal with that. But, but uh, it's interesting how I, that also ties in with the waiting that we were talking about earlier. You know, we're not supposed to run forward and attack. We're not supposed to run away. We just stand. We hold our ground. And, and we refuse to, to, to submit to the lie because, like, like you know, that's yeah. yeah. That was our Bible study last night, Ephesians chapter 6, along with Revelation. So uh, spiritual warfare, I think we're on track. We've got a call coming in. I want to give honor to this call. Uh, and by the way, before I take the call, um, I've you know, been working this thing out for 40 years. The greatest book I've ever read on deliverance, and I'm not just being biased, came from Patricia Joy Xavier, who wrote a book called Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights. Uh, When I've interviewed people who have read the book, they said the anointing on the book while they're reading it was breaking yokes. And with all these different deliverance ministries that are out there, um, the proof is always in the pudding. And you get, you know, this ongoing layer that you spoke about is so glorious. But uh, if you're out there and you're struggling and you want a, a very good book to read, don't stop. Don't forget about deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights. Uh, it is a very powerful book. We go through it every Thursday, and I would encourage people to get a copy. Let's take this call right now. Coming four seven nine seven eight seven. Good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You're on the air. Hello, four seven nine seven eight seven. You are on the air. 
Okay. Does it look like they're we're tuned in there? Ah. All right. They'll probably call back in a sec. So, anyways, Brian and Kathy. With that being said, um, I like what Cindy says. Amazing book, Pastor Patricia wrote, guided by the Holy Spirit. I love it. So we're all working this thing out. Uh, we've got three minutes left in the broadcast, Brian and Kathy. Some final words before we go today. Um, I think regarding the. Uh, the armor of God, uh, you know, he says all those things that were to put on the helmet, the, the breastplate, the shoes, the belt of truth. He says, above all, hold up that shield of faith. Faith is so important in our Christian walk. Do we really, really, really believe what God says in his word? Do we really, really trust that he will perform his word? And it goes down, it, go, it really boils down to that. And, and you know, I just encourage people to just get into his word. We need to have it a few times a day, not just once a week on Sunday. I mean, as much as you can, you know, just take a scripture, open it up and chew on it. You know, it just can be a bite and just chew on just just one scripture. And um, But do it a few times a day at least because I know people are busy. They're going to work in the job, and I don't have that. And probably thinking that, oh, you just get to sit at home and, and just get into all that as much as you want, and I'm really grateful for that, um, but, you know, I think that it's just so important. God knows that we have to earn a living and stuff, so I know it's possible. He can multiply that scripture, and you can feed on it and, and, and let it take root in your spirit, man, and and apply it and just really believe it. Even if we don't understand how could that be, it's like uh, I just – I just read the word of God that he knows best. The, it's funny. Yesterday in prayer, I saw it in, an image of the title, Father Knows Best. Remember that program? But I But do. I think that's the, yeah, Father Knows Best. Our God knows best. And whether we can understand his ways, it does not matter. He knows best. And do you really trust that? And that's what makes my walk joyful, pleasurable, um, peaceful, um, growing stretching and all that other stuff but it's just i just really trust him Amen. So i encourage others to do the same mm-hmm. wonderful yeah, exhortation. I think, um, yep i i, I think that uh that um the scariest scripture that i find in the bible is matthew seven twenty one to 23 which basically having done everything right that looks right jesus says you know depart depart from me you workers of iniquity and that my greatest hope when I meet him face to face is Matthew 25, where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And, you know, just kind of like in the context of we were, we were talking about earlier, well, throughout the entire conversation, God, I, had, I guess it was a revelation yesterday where he said, you know, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. And he didn't say, well done, good and successful servant. And I think sometimes we, we have a tendency to mix up success with faith. And, and, but faith looks like what Kathy just described there. It's a pursuit of him. It's a total trust in him. And the most important thing that we do, the greatest miracle that ever takes place, you know, in spite of all the healings and, and demons being cast out and, you know, blind eyes being opened and deaf ears being, you know, healed, is that a person believes. That is the greatest miracle in the world and it's what the angels just revel at that that you know we don't even see what they see and we and yet we believe 
And so that is the greatest, most important thing to do is to stand on that belief, grow in that belief, and, and the more we learn why we believe and can articulate why we believe, the greater our faith is. Amen. Beautiful, beautiful words of encouragement. As always, Brian and Kathy, refreshing, beautiful conversation. Appreciate both of you very much. May God continue to give you his great blessing and his great success in your work in ministry to all his praise. We love you both. God bless you. And we'll see you again next week. If not sooner, you just never, never know what a day is going to bring. God bless you both. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you guys. Bye. Take care. All right. That's it for us today. We're going to get on the road here. Just a quick note. If you would like to support this ministry, you can do so by going to a few different websites, Omega Radio or uh, NWM Global. It's www.nwmglobal.org. There's a donation tab there if you'd like to support the ministry. Also, you can go to omegaradio.org. That's omegaradio.org. You could give online there. Also, there is a place to actually mail in a gift if you would like to do that. It's P.O. Box 100. So if you'd like to mail in a gift, P.O. Box 100, Decatur, Arkansas, 72722. And one of my favorite ways to give on this particular thing is right on your phone. You can text 41088OMEGA all together, letters, words, all lowercase letters, but 41088OMEGA, and then type in the word GIVE. And we thank you so much for doing so, for everybody that has supported the ministry with your prayers and with your finances. We thank you. May God bless you richly. May his hundredfold be upon your life in every area of your life. And thank you for your care and concern. Tomorrow, we most likely will be broadcasting with Brother Daniel Seckham. Uh, it may be, it may be, we'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. Lord willing, God bless everybody. Have a super blessed day. We'll see you.